Hi, and welcome to Forest of the Future, the podcast series where we look into how innovation in FSC can help save our forests. We all know that forests play a key role in combating climate change and the biodiversity crisis that we're facing. In this series, we explore how innovation, especially within tech tools, but also more broadly, can help us protect our forests and support the mission of FSC, which is to ensure responsible management of our forests worldwide. In this episode, we are going to cover the most difficult topic that we've ever talked about. We will be talking about the military invasion made by Russia on Ukraine and how, as a voluntary system, we can handle such violent actions by a government on the people of another country. On Tuesday, FSC communicated our position to pull out of Russia and Belarus. The decision has been almost two weeks underway, and in this episode, we will dive into why it was such a difficult decision to make and what we expect that the impact of it will be on the people and on forest, not just in the affected regions, but also around the globe. To help me answer these really difficult questions and give me some more perspective, I have invited Kim Carstensen, our CEO, Mark Jessel, who is the FSC Systems Integrity Director, and Liske van Santen, our Global Network Director. Let's let them explain some of the probably most difficult decisions in the history of FSC. Hi, all three, and welcome to the podcast. I think we should start first with the acknowledgement that we find the military invasion that Russia did with the aid of Belarus and Ukraine unacceptable, and that our thoughts are really with the people affected by this war. This has led FSC to take an unprecedented decision. Can you explain to us, Kim, what that decision is? Given the military aggression in Ukraine, we felt that it was no longer tenable to uh, just maintain trade in FSC-certified products from the countries that have been conducting this military aggression, the invasion of Ukraine. So we felt that we needed to stop the trade from those countries. We needed to do that in an orderly way, so we couldn't just say everything stops tomorrow. We needed to give some time to actually make that happen, but we cannot just continue pretending that trade of material from a country is okay even when there's a military aggression going on. So what does that mean? That means that the certificates in Russia and in Belarus that are related to trade, so that's the chain of custody certificates, that they will be suspended, not terminated, keep that in mind, but suspended until the military aggression is ending. That will enter into force in a month from the day that we announced that, because we need to have an orderly transition and people need to be prepared for what they can do and what they cannot do. But that is what will happen. And this is a, a suspension of the trade, both for certified material, so material coming from the certified forest and the material that would be sold as controlled wood. So both trade flows will be stopped. Okay, so on April 8th, the certificates will be suspended and you will no longer be able to trade FSC certified products from Russia and Belarus. What then happens after the war is over? What about all those certificates then? Well, as I mentioned, they are not terminated, so they are just suspended, so they can be reinstated after the aggression and the invasion ends. We don't know at this point in time what scenario we're looking into. We don't know how long this will take. We don't know what the end situation is going to be. But the suspension of the certificates is something that can be ended. 
they can be reinstated at the time when the reason for suspending them is gone away. Mm-hmm. It's been two days now since we communicated this decision to our stakeholders. What has the reaction been so far? We've seen many reactions. We were under a lot of pressure from groups in the West, from groups in Ukraine, who wanted us to stop any links with Russia. We were also under a lot of pressure from people in Russia who have been working for responsible forest management for the past 10, 20 years and who did not want that work to just be thrown out. So we've been under pressure from very different sides in this whole discussion. And that was also part of the reason why it took us some time to actually come to a conclusion. Because we don't want to just throw out all the good work that has happened in Russia. We want to have the ability to still be there, to still be relevant for the forest and the people of Russia, which are enormously important for our mission globally. So we wanted to reach a decision that was balanced so that we didn't just say stop for everything in Russia and we don't care whether we can ever come back. We wanted to be able to come back. And that's why we have made what we think is a rather balanced decision where we are ending the trade. We're suspending certificates, but we're actually also still keeping the option open of allowing forest management certificates, not the trade of the materials, but forest management certificates to still be active in Russia so that responsible forest management can be documented also in the future in Russia. Why are the Russian forests so important for our mission? Russia is an enormous country. Russia has enormous forest resources. Many of those forest resources are still in a state where they haven't yet been logged. They are intact forest landscapes. They are landscapes that are extremely important for indigenous groups in Siberia and the far east of Russia. They have very big carbon storage in them. They have big amounts of biological diversity. You will know about the Siberian tiger, there's wolves, there's bears, there's all sorts of mammals and tree species and plant species in those forests. They are enormously important. And we have about 60 million hectares of those forests certified, which has meant that they are much better managed than they would otherwise have been and that they are actually in a state of staying forest and being forest also for the future. We have created a space inside Russia where civil society can come together So indigenous peoples, workers, other social groups with the environmental organizations and actually create both forest protection and good forest management that benefits the people. All of that is enormously important, not just for Russia, but because of Russia's size for the whole world. And I guess that's why we're maintaining the forest management certificates and only suspending the chain of custody certificates because we want to maintain as best we can that protection of those forests. I am so proud of what FSC has contributed in Russia over the past 20 years. We have really made a difference in terms of creating a space for civil society to define what is responsible forest management and make it happen together with Russian companies. Yes, there have been problems in Russia. Yes, there have been issues with sanitary logging and stuff. But the big picture is that we have created a space for forest conservation, for forest management that didn't exist otherwise. And if we just pull out of Russia and never are able to come back again, all of that may be lost. And that is not in anybody's interest and it's completely against our mission. So therefore, we want to have the ability to stay in Russia and be relevant in that country.
Mm-hmm. Liska, I'd like to bring you in. I guess Kim has touched upon some of the complexity of this. If we compare FSC to a lot of the private companies out there, it has taken some time for us to reach the decision to to suspend the certificates and pull out of Russia and Belarus. What made that decision so difficult? Can you put a bit more words to that? Absolutely. Just to complement what Kim has said, I'm sure that some of us had wanted FSC to react really fast and really condemn the war and all the aggression that is going on. However, that's not FSC's approach and that's not what we believe our mission is about. So what made it hard to come to this decision and what made us believe we needed to take some more days is because we wanted to talk to the local teams. We wanted to make sure we hear from our membership from across the region. We wanted to make sure we listen to our key partners who have been working with us for all those years on the ground, civil society groups, certificate holders. In parallel, we had, of course, multiple streams of work going on. A senior team on looking into the normative approach. We had a team looking into the legal approach. And all of that accumulated together came to a list of options and criteria. And that led to this decision. So yes, it took some time. And yes, we believe we now have come to a place where we have a firm, tough decision. And we believe we can stand by it. What actually happens to the team on the ground? Do we know that now? Thanks for asking. Of course, as with any organization, the first and foremost concern is our very own staff and the very staff of our network partner, Russia, on the ground. We've been taking an individual approach. The individuals who are in the team have different needs, have different environments that they're currently um, operating in. I just wanted to say here that we do everything we can from FC International side to support them and to be of support as long as that is needed in as creative ways as that is needed going through these extremely difficult times, equally on the Ukrainian side as on the Russian side. So they are in, at the moment, they're in good hands. They're still fully operational. They're working on FSC in their countries. They're supporting the next steps of decision-making and how can we support certificate holders and certificate bodies in their countries. And yet we're full on thinking through the contingency plans. Yes. I'm amazed actually that they can still work with FSC. I know that previously they worked really closely together as a team. Are they able to still do that in this really difficult situation? I, I completely see where your question is coming from. And obviously for me as a global network director, the last you want is to get divided camps within our very own teams. But I'm so proud and so thankful for seeing people sticking together. So yes, the colleagues in the different countries still working together. They're still connected through their different means and platforms. We're still operating as one team, yet we respectfully hold off when it comes to individual country approaches. That's where the team together have decided to draw the line. But also within our headquarters, we've got Ukrainians and Russians alike. So I just wanted to say that the openness, tolerance and uh, open-mindedness across our staff in the field and in our headquarters has been incredible. It's been a source of strength. I can imagine. And it's really, really difficult. All of this is so difficult. Kim, this isn't the first time or the first country where a government acts in ways that aren't in line with FSC's values. 
How is this conflict different in other countries where we've had FSC certified areas and certificate holders? Well, unfortunately, you're right that, that governments do not always act in the way that our values speak to acting. But this is a special situation in the sense that it is not every day that we do see an aggressive military armed invasion into another country. Certainly not another country that is sort of a core country in FSC where we have staff, we have certificates, we have activities ongoing. So this is a very special situation. I don't think we have thought completely through exactly what the implications might be for future situations. That's something that we will be doing, but this is a very special situation and not something that is just sort of ordinary thing that, that governments would generally do. They do not armed invade each other generally. Yeah, I guess you can see it just in the fact that we actually do not have in our principles and criteria any criteria that relates to armed conflict. Exactly. We have it in our control group statements, but of course also for Russia, for Belarus, for Ukraine, it was not part of the national risk assessment because they were not in conflict and we did not imagine that would happen. Now it did happen and now we need to take that rule into the specific risk assessments for those countries, evidently. Mark, if I can bring you in here, we've been talking on other podcasts before about risk-based interventions, risk-based approaches being more introduced into FSC. Do you think that this means that we will also, as an organization, start evaluating more which countries we certify in and which we will not? I don't think that this specific instance is going to trigger any major changes in the way in which we approach countries. I think your question runs at the core of, I, I would say, one of the philosophies of FSC, which is that we do choose to work in difficult countries. And that's very deliberate and very important in our sector that we are able to work in a wide range of different risk contexts. So as you inferred, we are moving towards a risk-based interventions approach, which does enable us to identify very clearly what kind of risk category an individual certificate holder would fall under. And that in turn will enable us to put in place auditing protocols that suit that particular profile. But I don't think that this is going to steer us away from working in countries that fall under a particular category or another. I think we will remain very global, but our systems are, are evolving, as you said, and, uh, and we need to have systems that enable us to, rather than approach things from a one-size-fits-all angle, to have a much more tailored approach to suit the individual context that we find ourselves in. And maybe pull out when we then need to pull out based on reoccurring evaluation. Exactly. And I think th this is important because we're guided by the standard. The standard is what we follow. And within the system integrity team that I lead, my job is to ensure that we have in place mechanisms that enable us to monitor application of that standard. And if we find ourselves in situations where we can no longer apply the standard in a particular context, then that is obviously a cause for concern and potentially a reason for withdrawing. Mm -hmm. So this decision to pull out of Russia, obviously there is a reason for redrawing here, and it's not a small one. Like Kim said, it's more than 60 million hectares, and actually more than 30% of the FSC certified forest areas that we have are in Russia and in Belarus. And removing all of them in one go will have a lot of effect on industries using certified wood fibers. Have we estimated that kind of impact? before we make the decision. So have we estimated the impact before the decision? I think the honest answer is no. 
we have not estimated the impact of the decision because we didn't have that luxury of being able to carry out an in-depth kind of market analysis of all of the implication for supply chains of such a decision. So we're working it out at the moment. It's an incredibly important but complex question for us to work through. We can make certain assumptions as to what it might translate into. We can expect that it will disrupt supply chains. We can expect that it'll have an impact on some of the supply chains coming from other parts of the world on the similar latitude, broadly speaking, but concretely, I, I don't think we're in a position right now to answer that question. So we know that that industries will be disrupted and, and whole sectors will be deeply impacted. Are we doing anything to support these industries in the transition? Well, I think this is where our convener role really comes into play. We do have the ability to work very intensively with network partners across the world to create opportunities, better understand what's going on in their different environments, to communicate, to learn and to share what we hear through all of the insights that we obtain from network partners. So I think it's very much about convening, it's about communicating. That should enable us to be able to then translate it into messages back to industry, which hopefully they will find useful. Kim, I'd like to actually just lift us up a bit because our mission and our goal as an organization is really to protect the forest of the world and to reduce pressure on them. But when you look at it, this decision of rapidly transitioning 30% of what we have into new forests is most likely going to increase pressure on the rest of the forests in the world. Was this factored into our decision? Are we doing anything to counteract it? Well, this was part of the reason why we said we don't want to just leave Russia. We don't want to exit and never be able to come back because we do want that positive influence inside Russia to be able to continue. So that's one side of it. The other side of it is that this will, of course, be a challenge for us in other parts of the world that will be producing material that will then compensate or fill in the gaps that are being left. So countries like, I don't know, China, parts of Africa, parts of Latin America are places where our integrity work will be as important as ever. And of course, we will be working in those areas with, with these issues. I have a final question for all three of you, because it is really difficult to see positive conclusions after such a conversation and, and have a positive outlook on something as negative as war. But do we have any positive learnings so far in in each of your work areas, something that we can use, something that gives us a bit of hope in these chaotic times. Liska, maybe I can start with you. I took a lot of positive hope during these super dark tunnel days and everyday worries about the team in Ukraine and Russia out of the fact how much it meant to organizations, individual stakeholders that they had FSC in their countries and what it meant for them and their organizations to drive for a shared mission. That's certainly something that I found the most powerful thing that gave me a bright light during these times. The other bit is the staff component, the fact that our teams are bonding, are sticking with one another, are offering space to vent their anger, frustration, upset, fear for this crazy world, yet then continue think what's best for organization to do right now what can i possibly most usefully do right now to help fse through this crisis those two bits for me are beautiful things yes it is quite amazing to see them still work as a team and quite inspiring 
Mark, what about you? I think for me, it was a reminder of the fragility of things. Obviously, in terms of the human tragedy that is unfolding is evident to all. And we've seen a huge amount of solidarity around that tragedy, which I guess has a positive side to it. But at the same time, I've just come out of a call with about 420 Russian stakeholders during which we announced our decision. And I think just the fact that 420 people bothered to come demonstrates that we do have this extraordinary convening power, this ability to engage. The overwhelming majority of the questions that came were incredibly constructive. Of course, there were some exceptions there, but uh, overall, of course, what we have is a, a great group of, of stakeholders who talk to us and who are willing to exchange in spite of the very, very difficult and fraught political circumstances that we're all trying to navigate. Kim, any learnings from you? Well, for me, the main thing that I've seen of positive from this crisis is the demonstration of how important FSC has been and is and can be in Russia. And the commitment of people in Russia, but also people who work on Russian issues in other parts of the world to actually make sure that we can continue that path and wanting to find ways that we can do that together, maybe come back after the crisis even stronger, even better than we were before. And I think that is a, a very inspiring perspective and I would love to and I will really want to work with these stakeholders to make that happen so that whenever the crisis is over, whenever the invasion stops, that we will be able to come back to Russia, work there with even better results, even better strength than we have now. Let's hope so. I, I truly hope so. Thank you, all three of you, for taking time in your insanely busy days to talk to me. Thank you. Bye. That concludes my interview with Kim, Mark and Liska. As I'm sure it's clear by now, decisions in times on war are rarely black and white and they are certainly not easy. At FSC, our primary focus has been to protect the people and nature who will be affected by our decision. People who had no stake in the military actions taken, people who have invested in FSC and who's helped us make strides in a region that is hugely important for our global biodiversity. We are all too well aware that our decisions will have impact on the lives of thousands, if not millions of people, both now and in the longer term. Let us hope that Liska is right and that the team spirit that we're seeing within our teams on the ground in Russia, Belarus and Ukraine will be the same spirit that we see within our stakeholders in the broader public. Let us hope that we will soon see an end to this war and that we can return to Russia and return to the very important protection of that forest, of that wildlife, of those people on the ground. If you want to get in touch with us or follow our work, I encourage you to join our LinkedIn group. It's called FSC Digital Innovation and it's open for everyone. You can also always get in touch with me on digitalinput at fsc.org. I am Laura Worm and this was Forest for the Future.